fun. Thank you guys so much for that. That's wonderful. You can have a seat. Thanks for participating and all that we got to do this morning. And how, wasn't that fun? Singing that, that was awesome. And I uh, get to be one of the pastors here. My name is Ron Thompson, and I just want to welcome you. And so glad that you're with us today as we kick off a new series. And the series is called Enough. Uh, and so as I've been thinking about this series a lot, one of the things I realized is how much I personally uh, need this myself. And so I'm going to be you know, talking about that as we go today and over the next several weeks. Uh, but one of the places I really want to get to uh, and to be able to be honest and truthful is to uh, be able to say, enough. That's enough. And mean it. And then not go from there and get all caught up in wanting more or wanting something different than my current experience. Uh, I want that so much to be able to say I'm enough, but I seem to have this kind of internal drive uh, that's always pulling me and always at me to say that what I have isn't enough, and that if I could just have this thing uh, or this person or this experience, well, that would be enough. And then if I get close to that, I find that it wasn't enough. And I, I still have this internal drive that doesn't seem to stop. And, and I know that's not true just about me, okay? I just am confessing my part in this. The insatiable desire for more, it just seems to be hardwired into us. And you know what? Honestly, in a way it is. If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and you look at our ancestors, Adam and Eve, you can discover that this was part of the temptation that the serpent used to get them to disobey God and to move outside of his will. Basically, he said to them, hey, God's holding out on you. God's holding out. There's something else that you could have. And if you had it, your life would be a lot better than life with just God and what he offers. And if you know the story, they bit and they went for it. And that from you know the Bible would record and then history would record from that day forward, it began a downfall of abuse and we are, as we lost what was truly good and beautiful and enough in our world. So the next four weeks, we're going to come at this topic from four different vantage points. Uh, I'm so excited about how Paul laid out Philippians chapter 4. Four different aspects of our nature that we're going to look at, and then four ways that God speaks to us and guides us. And so that we can hopefully resolve some of this tension that we feel between what I have and what I want. Okay, so that's where we're going to be going. So today we're going to come at it by talking about how to choose joy over happiness. Now, some of you are going, you mean we can't be happy? No, that's not it at all. You know, I'm not saying today that at the end of the service that we're all going to walk out of here like Eeyore. You know, just walk around saying... Life is terrible, it's so bad, where Pastor Ron told me, I'm so sad. So something like that, you know, so I just made that up on the fly, just so you know. <laughs> oh my, so we're not doing that, okay? See, the, happy, the, the feeling of happiness is a good thing. It's a really good thing. It's one of our core emotions. 
And so what we want to do is we want to understand the difference between happiness and joy and then what God would guide us to experience in him. So if you haven't done this yet, grab your message notes out of your program. They look like this. And you'll be able to follow along in our time together and open your Bible to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be jumping in in verse 1 today and going through verse 5. As we look at this section, uh, Paul writes, and I put the key verse at the top of your notes, but before we read it, I want to kind of give us the background a little bit um, as to what's going on. Now, each week we're going to read this key verse and we're going to focus on it about what does it actually say to us. But just so you know, the Apostle Paul is the writer of the book of Philippians. And some of you know that the Apostle Paul was one of the key players in the spread of the gospel in the first century after Christ. Now, this spreading the gospel work, it was not glamorous in any way. It's nothing like what you see with TV evangelists today and the glamour that they live in saying that, you know, if you name it, you can have it. You know, it's nothing like that. Paul's life was rigorous and it was hard. In fact, listen to these words. They're not in your notes. You might sometime look at this in 2 Corinthians 11. This is what he says about what it was like. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And we're not talking medical marijuana here, okay? <laughs> Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have worked hard and long and endured many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty, and I have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all of this, I have the burden of my concern for all the churches." Now, the man who wrote that, who's been through all of these experiences, he's in prison. He's not writing the words that we're going to read about from some five-star resort by the sea. He's writing from prison, and he says these words that when you read them, they literally, when you know his story, they leap off the page when he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, to be content. Wow. Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to look at his words about how you and I can choose joy over happiness. Now, just right up front, if you were to ask my wife um, that she would probably agree to this, that I'm probably one of the least qualified people in the room today to talk about this, okay? Uh, I call myself joy challenged, and it's one of the things I continue to work at uh, on a consistent basis, but... I also want you to know I'm grateful to be the one who gets to talk about this today because of what God's doing in me. When I told my son Ryan, who's 21, that I would be doing this series, and I was kind of you know, giving him a little update about what it was. This is like two or three weeks ago. Um, this is what he said to me. He said, Dad, this is exactly what my friends and I need. We were just talking about how hard it is for us to have happiness in our culture that constantly tells us that what we don't have who we don't yet know, what we've not yet experienced, that all of those things are really the path to peace and happiness. And then he said, Dad, we don't know how to be happy. And this is from a 21-year-old. And so I'm listening to him, and I'm thinking, you know, part of the problem could be that we've misinterpreted 
the words from the Constitution that says that we have an inalienable right to happiness. <clears throat> and we've interpreted that to mean that we have an undeniable right to be happy. That's not what our fathers wrote in the Constitution. And I just want you to know, folks, our young adults need this series. Our middle-aged adults need this series. Our young families need this series. Our senior adults need these series. We all need this series because inside every one of us is a seed of discontent based on the belief that there really is not enough. We live with a seed of scarcity inside of us. Okay, let's just begin. Let's distinguish between happiness and joy. Happiness at its root is based upon circumstances or happenings. So I need certain happenings or circumstances to happen in order for me to have the experience of happiness. So basically, if things are going my way, then I'm going to be happy. But there's a problem with that. It's called life. It's just called life. If my circumstances go my way, then I'm happy. If they don't go my way, then I'm not happy. And so we're always on a roller coaster of happy, not happy, happy, not happy, happy, not happy, happy, not happy, as we go through life. Therefore, no, what, what happy, no matter what happiness is to you, or no, what, no matter what happiness is to me, happiness will always be, listen, temporary, temporary, because your circumstances change. And because happiness is based on circumstances, then because circumstances change, then you are not going to have continual happiness. This kind of pursuit always, you know, finds its root in kind of if-then or when-then thinking. If I get this, then I'll be happy. If this happens, then I'll be happy. When I get this, I'll be happy. When this happens, I'll be happy. And kind of that's the way we think. But it's based on circumstances. Therefore, if my circumstances are in my favor, I can be happy. If they're not in my favor, I won't be happy. Now, there are several things, I think, that stand in the way of us experiencing happiness in our day, other than what I just said, circumstances. One is busyness. One of the ways we struggle with experience, you know, ongoing feelings of euphoria and happiness is just the, we're just too busy. We get too busy to be able to stop and enjoy the moment, that moment that might be right in front of us, and we miss out on the opportunity that we can have in the moment. On Friday evening, Kim came in, and she had her phone on, and she said, I need to show you this video. And so she showed me a video of a person, and this person really knows how to slow down and enjoy a moment. And I thought, let's watch that. So let's look at it. happiness, I have to slow down. Another thing that robs us of uh, happiness is unmet expectations. They have a way of robbing us because, you know, we have expectation for how something's going, uh, should go, and when it doesn't, then we end up disappointed and we're not able to have happiness in that place. I'll show you a picture here. 
This is of something that I had high expectations about for me and my uh, daughter and my wife as we were going to go to Disney on Ice and to be able to see the performance of Frozen. Now, this is for my daughter's 16th birthday, just so you know. So Kim and I had done this whole thing of surprise party on Sunday night. Her birthday's on Monday. Totally took her by surprise. She had no idea. And then I was thinking, okay, Monday's a holiday. It's President's Day. Or, you know, I'm gonna, you know, she's going to be off school, so I should add more to the birthday. So we should do something else. And so I knew she loved Disney, and, uh, and you know, the, I, I heard the Frozen music playing in our house, and I'm thinking, well, this would be awesome cultural experience that we can do together. So I bought tickets, and uh, so that morning I got up and made them all breakfast. All these girls who had had the sleepover made them pancakes. I came to work for a couple hours, came home, said, okay, we need to leave at 2.30, so we can get down to Disney on Ice at 4 o'clock. So we head down the hill. Uh, we get to Auburn. And just as you're getting on the freeway at Auburn, and the way I get on the freeway there is that I go three lanes over and punch it as fast as I can. <laughs> and so that's my approach, okay? And so I did that, three lanes over, punched it, and right then there's a wall of red lights in front of me. And it was brake lights. And so what, what it was is President's Day weekend. And all the people from the hill were coming down, and here I am in Auburn, I'm looking at a sea of brake lights. And so I had Jordan, look on your phone real quick, tell me how long this goes. She says, Dad, it's red all the way. And so, okay, well, here we are, so we have plenty of time, because we left early, we have margin. And so we're driving down the road, with some tense moments as we're going down the road to get to Frozen. And we get to about the 65, where it cuts off, and it's about 5 to 4. And I'm going, surely now, the people go to 65, they'll get a cut off, so I go a little bit fast, all of a sudden it's red lights again. So finally, it's about 4.15, we're stuck in where the, the construction is, all the way down in uh, West Sac, you know, where they go down to the, the single lanes, double lanes, and it's a crapshoot, which one do you go into single or double? Well, I chose the wrong one, and, and, uh, which all the people did. And so it's at 4.15, we're, in, we're stuck there, we're not moving, and then Jordan just said, you know what, I hate Frozen. And I'm going, you hate Frozen? <laughs> you can't hate Frozen. <laughs> I said, you listen to music of Frozen all the time? You love Disney? You love Frozen? She goes, I hate Frozen. <laughs> and she goes, I love Disney. And so, we're going, okay, well, we're going to make the best of this. So we finally get there. We got to sleep train. It's 4.30. Started at 4, 4.30. Pull in the parking lot. And I see that, you know, how to get in. We go in the gates, and there's one line of cars and then I see several people walking away from their gates. They'd already shut down all their gates and left one guy there to take care of all the latecomers. So, and then and I'm watching as we're waiting in line. Okay, the clock's a ticking here to get to this fun. And so we're just sitting there waiting in line. And he must have been like, he must have heard my message on people of the towel. Because, you know, he was helping everybody beyond belief. And it takes forever, 15 bucks then to park. And so we get in, we walk into, we walk into Arco Arena, and you know, we get up, there's nobody, because everybody's we hear the music, ah, oh, it's here, it's music. And so you know how they have the curtains there, we find our section, we open and we open up the curtains, and there was a sea of four and five-year-old girls in princess dresses <laughs> running around with twirly lights like this that they had been selling that day. It was just beyond belief. And I was like, oh, my, what do we do this? What am I? And so we're walking down. I said, just find three seats. <laughs> and so we sat down in these seats, and we just get set down. And all of a sudden, as we sat down, they started singing, let it go. Oh. 
We're in the perfect thing, perfect situation, and let it go. This is the song. This is it. And about time we get tapped on our shoulders by a, a security person saying we're in the wrong seat. So we have to get all the way back up, walk all the way back out, all the way down another section. We finally get down, find our seats. We get sat down. Let it go ends. Lights come up, and it's the intermission. <laughs> and we had just gotten there. Oh, my word. And so then they're hawking all their wares everywhere, and we're sitting there. Jordan's texting all her friends how much she hates this experience. <laughs> and her dad's punishing her. Uh, and, uh, and we're sitting there. Finally, one of her friends texted back these words, make the most of it. This is from another 16-year-old, okay? Make the most of it. So anyway, uh, it, my expectations were here. It didn't happen. I didn't have much happiness. I'll tell you that. They didn't have much happiness. They're sitting there like looking at me like, what did you get us into, you know, to do this? And you know what? I, I'm going to diss on Disney. I'm just going to go all the way here. Um, you know, you think Disney, everything's great, right? Right, right, right? Disney on ice is not great, okay? <laughs> I mean, they, had play, they were just playing the soundtrack from the movie, and you have these people out there in costumes dancing that you can't even see, lip syncing. They didn't have to lip sync because they couldn't even see their lips. <laughs> and then it's over. And you're like, oh, great. So anyway, just so you know, unmet expectations can rob you of joy, okay? That's the lesson there. Okay. The third is pain and suffering. Pain and suffering have a way of blocking our way to happiness. They do. And so we're going to talk about that more later on in just a minute. Uh, because it's just the deal. If we think that circumstances always have to be in our favor, when we face pain and suffering, then we're going to find out that that doesn't work. Okay, now joy is based on connections. It's based on connections. Connections. Now, you're going to think, what? And just hang with me. Because I have to follow the Apostle Paul. And I have to listen to what he said. And so we have to take the scripture apart and look at it. And, re- and you're going to see exactly what it is that we're talking about in just a few minutes. It says, so joy is not based on circumstances. And joy is possible in the face of all busyness, all unmet expectations, and every pain and suffering. Joy is possible because it's a reality that's not based on circumstances Joy will not disappoint. Joy will not change. And so Paul walks us through three connections in these verses that are vital for us to understand if we're going to be able to increase our joy level. And the first one is this. I can increase my joy when I stay connected with others. When I stay connected with others. Now, I'm just taking the order he did it, even though I would probably have a different order if I was you know, doing this message and I was thinking about how to do it. But I'm going to just take his order. So here's what he begins in verse 1. Now, by the way, he's writing to the Philippians from prison to thank them because they have sent him a sum of money and so that he could pay his expenses in prison. And they'd cared for him. And so it's, it's a letter. He started the church. He knew the people he was writing to. He loves them. And so this is what he says. Look, notice the terms of endearment here, okay? Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, whom I what? Love. And I what? Long for. You, my brothers and sisters, are what? My joy and my crown. And then he says this, my beloved, my beloved. Folks, I just read this and I'm going, Paul, even in prison, can have joy because 
He is relationally connected. He has people in his world who he loves and who love him as well. Now, there's a lot of, a lot of studies that are being done right now on happiness, in case you haven't been paying attention to this, and how our brain impacts the happiness that we feel. And what they've discovered is one of the things they've discovered that in order for us to feel and, and there's a lot of, I'm just going to interchange this because our culture uses the word happiness. I really think the Bible uses the word joy. And, and you know, culture pushes us towards happiness. The Bible pushes towards joy. So all the studies are about happiness. And so what they've discovered is, is that we have, in, each of us have inside of us this need to feel love and acceptance from others. And when we don't feel that, we actually feel pain. They did a study where people played a video game in the video game, they were tossing a ball back and forth between two players. And so uh, they told the people in the study that you know, couldn't see anyone else, that you're playing with another person, okay? Another person's playing this video game, and they're, you throw it, they catch it, and they throw it back to you. But actually, there was no other players at all, okay? There was no other player. It was just something they said. And they were told that these other characters are controlled by real people. So what happened is this is that when the other characters stopped playing, stopped throwing the ball back, didn't play nice, what happened to the person over here who's sitting there thinking this person's not playing nice is they literally felt feelings, and they wanted to wire this in their brain, of sadness, a loss of well-being, and even physical pain. Physical pain when they felt that they weren't connected. It's important that we have connections that matter. And one of the key things that they also learned through all this study is that people who are connected with others relationally have more joy than those who don't. So they did another study. And this study was that people would receive, one group would receive a significant physical touch from another human being five times a week. And the other study group did not receive a significant physical touch from another human being in the same week. And what they found is, is that those who received five, five significant human touches from another human being labeled themselves as having more or higher joy than those who said or hadn't received no touch at all. And so the whole point is science is proving it. The Bible shows us is that we need others in order to know joy. And I'm not talking just face. Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest. I'm just not, I'm not talking about that or the whole new like thing on Facebook where now you can give your emotions as you share that. We need real people in our world. And when we have relationships and connections with real people, we, we work on this, we have them, then we can increase our joy. So I just want to encourage you that one of the awesome things you can do, here's a ministry you could do actually, is that if you know people who have no way to get physical touch, your ministry could be to physically touch them with permission. Okay, with, just go, with permission. As a ministry to bring joy to someone else. Okay, second is this. I can increase my joy when I stay strong in struggles. When I stay strong in struggles. And we're going to face struggles, right? And so the point here is that we have to stay Strong. We have to stand strong. In fact, he says it this way. He says, stand firm in the Lord. Now, it gets a little tricky here. In order to increase my joy, 
I have to learn to be able to stand firm or stay strong. But in order to stand strong, when circumstances aren't going my way, I need to realize that I have a greater power than I have at my beckon, who's there with me and I'm in a relationship with, that's greater than that. And so what happens is, when I realize that I have a relationship with God who has power beyond I have, and then I'm in a relationship with him who has a perspective beyond what I can even have at all in life, is that I can then increase my joy. So I have to stop and realize, I cannot maintain joy on my own strength. And we're going to look at, in two weeks, I cannot maintain joy in just positive thinking. When we talk about attaining or sustaining joy, we have to remember that this endeavor doesn't ride on our own strength. Because when we try to do it on our own strength, what happens is we, it leads us to burnout, it leads us to disillusionment, it leads us to fatigue, and then it leads us to inauthenticity. Because when we're in, inauthentic, what we think is if it's on my strength and I'm feeling like crud and I don't have joy and I'm not happy, if I feel like it's up to me, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to put on that plastic Christian smile. I'm happy. You know, and I'm just going to, I'm happy everywhere I go because the Bible says me so. You know, and so as we do that and we just do, it's inauthentic. It's not real. He's talking about something that's not external that you put over your life. He's talking about something that happens internally inside of you because of what God is doing in your life. I'll show you a picture here. It's a picture of a wave. Now, um, for several years after Kim and I came to Grass Valley, uh, Richard and Joan, uh, some friends of ours, Rassi, can't think of their names. Richard? It's not coming right now. They owned a home in Santa Cruz, just a small, like, you know, 900 square foot, 1950s bungalow. And, uh, but it sat right on the ocean. So we'd go over there. They'd made us available to our family for a really, really, really low price. And so we'd go over there three to four times a year and hang out. And we'd sit and watch the waves there at Santa Cruz. And this is a picture of a wave in the Carmel region. And so um, I would just sit and watch wave after wave after wave after wave. And what happened is, over time, is I started noticing, if you look on the, you know, see where the wave is crashing, if you look on the right, and you just can go out, and you, if, I wish I could magnify this in for you, but all of a sudden, if you go further out, there are little droplets that start on top before a wave actually gets to the breaking point, little drops of water that just kind of come out of the water, they just start bouncing. And... I started calling, I said, I told our kids, those are laugher waves. And right now, that's laughing for joy about what's happening right now. And this just became so meaningful for me uh, throughout my life, is that every time I go to the ocean, I can't wait to just run down and look and for laughter waves. And now they're, you know, 16 and 21, and I don't remember how Kim, old Kim is, I better not say. <laughs> but when I mention laughter waves, they, you know, they look at me like, I'm lunatic and crazy, but these still have so much meaning for me. Now, here's what I learned, okay? Laugher waves don't stay in that posture the entire time. Here's what happens. You got the bubbles, the laugher uh, water droplets, and then they crash. It comes in, there's foam, and then it goes back out. And it's kind of dark and murky and goes out, gets all sucked back in. And then there's another wave that comes up. And then there's that moment, one more time, where there's this laugher wave that comes on top, crash, comes back in, 
and goes back out. And here's what I realized. What I realized is I was trying to live my life only for the moment of the bubble, the water drop, the laugher wave. And what I learned is, is that that's impossible because that's not life. None of us can live in that state of ecstasy, for one thing, continually. But that's just not life. What happens is, is we have moments of joy, crash, sadness, darkness, struggle, uplift, joy, crash, darkness, sadness, struggle. And in order to be able to live that kind of life, And trust that that is a picture of life is to know that there's a God who's in charge and a God is in control and I can trust him. I want to write this reference down. It's James 1, 2. I have the slide here, but it won't have the verses on your notes. James 1, 2. One of my my most favorite verses and ones I hate the most in the Bible. (laughs) Count it all joy. My brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, steadfastness, and steadfastness have its full effect in you, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I can stay strong. I can stand as I maintain, here it is, my connection with God's promises and purposes, and that he is working in my life. Okay, third idea is this. I can increase my joy when I stay enthralled with Jesus. When I stay enthralled with Jesus. I'll go to verse 4 now. Actually, I skipped verse 2 and 3. These are more about connections with others, which he's talking about unity. I didn't have time to cover that today. If you want to read those, you can see how important unity was to him. And then in unity, we have joy. Okay, so verse (coughs) 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Okay, so here's the one who's lived under all this extreme pressure, who's in prison, and he's writing these words, rejoice, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. I just think these are such powerful words coming from a man who has had to fight hard to discover and maintain joy, his own joy in the middle of his deep circumstances. He's been in that classroom and he's come out on the other side with joy. And Paul's joy was hammered out through his pursuit of Jesus, through his pursuit of Jesus. I don't believe he set out to know joy. And and I think today, if you leave here and you think, okay, it's all about joy now for me, I think you're going to end up disappointed. It's about pursuing Jesus. Look what Tim Keller says. He describes this well. He wrote, what you rejoice in is that thing that is your central sweetness and consolation in life. To rejoice is to treasure a thing, to assess its value to you, to reflect on its beauty and importance until your heart, notice this, rests in it and tastes the sweetness of it. He's talking about learning to be enthralled with Jesus, and we can come to that place where we're fully enthralled with Jesus, then we can know joy no matter what our circumstances may be. Now, I've been doing a lot of work on this. When I realized I was joy challenged to the level that I was, 
is that I began a pursuit of Jesus through the Gospels, through meditation, through breath prayers, through spiritual mentors, through coaches, a pursuit of Jesus that I knew that if I was going to know joy, it wasn't because I decided I was going to be more joyful. It would be because I knew the one who brought more joy, that I followed him. And so that's been my focus. So I'm just going to kind of jump ahead a little bit. On Friday, uh, I don't know, you guys know I've had pneumonia this week, been really sick and really bleak and dark, and you know, texted some friends today, says, I'm not going to die. Um, and so, you know, for those who say that all men think they're dying when they get sick, Irma. Uh, and so I thought about you a lot this week, okay? Uh, and so on Friday, I thought, you know, I don't think I'm contagious. I think we can get out of the house. So let's go, I said to Kim, let's pick Jordan up from school and let's go watch Risen. Uh, the movie that's out right now. So we went and watched the movie called Risen. And, and by the way, I don't think I'm giving anything away. This is not like, I don't need a spoiler alert or anything. Jesus rose from the dead, okay? <laughs> so that's what the movie's about. Just want you to know, Jesus rose from the dead. And so um, uh, for me, the movie was a really awesome movie, but then it got to the point where Jesus was pictured. And, you know, I know there's a lot in symbolism and a lot in imagery that we have to be careful about. But I also know that there's a lot that can move us toward him. And when it got to the images of Jesus and who he was, I want to share a couple of those with you uh, that I found online. These are just the scenes from the movie. And there's, you know, Jesus, obviously, is the one they're hugging. And, you know, with the scripture passages, go into all the world and preach the gospel of creation. But notice his smile. Notice his disciples' response. I'm just telling you, I was crying when it got to this point in the movie. And I was watching Jesus as he responded to his disciples, the ones who loved him, and he was showing his love. And now look at the next picture. And surely, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Those scenes portraying Jesus were so real to me. And so as I was thinking about that, I thought about what Paul wrote. Paul wrote, stand firm in the Lord. And when he said stand firm in the Lord, and then he says rejoice in the Lord, what he was saying there is he's saying, look to him. Look to him. Find joy in Jesus. Pursue him. And then he said this, he says, and the time of the Lord is is near or at hand. Now, that could mean a couple of things. It could mean that Jesus is all around because he is now all around. He's everywhere. But it also means that the time of his second coming is at hand. And that what our only responsibility is, is to pursue him. To pursue him. And when we do that, he will give us joy, and that joy we will be able to rest in, and we will be able to say, this is enough, enough in him. Now, I want to give you the message idea right at the bottom of your page there. You might want to write this down, and then we'll wrap up here. Message idea is this. I will know deep joy as I am intimate with Jesus and others. As I will know deep joy as I am intimate with Jesus, as I pursue him, and others. You can't have the social dimension. It has to be in there. Now, a few weeks ago, 
a friend of mine, uh, her son's a music pastor, and she posted on Facebook, said, hey, my son's teaching his church this awesome song this weekend. And so I logged on and listened to it, and I was like, oh, my word. I, I played it for Kim, said, this is so awesome. Played it for our team, this is so awesome. Because this song that you're going to hear is called Cherry Blossoms. This song talks about contentment and peace and joy we can have from experiencing him. Let's listen to Brian sing. Well, I feel a warm wind blowing, mountain all on the sides off of my soul, and I smell the sweet cherry blossoms pouring all of the gladness into my soul.
That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray together for a moment. God, I thank you. You are our hope. You are our joy. Lord, I know that for a lot of us that we are, you know, not just me, our world we live in, with circumstances we face, that oftentimes we feel joy challenged. We wonder where the happiness is. And Lord, I just pray today that we just laid out just a simple path. Not a bunch of principles or steps, but just a simple path. Just to turn to Jesus. Pursue him with all we have. Long for him. Receive love from him. Receive joy from him. Receive his life. And Jesus, I just thank you. I pray that you would encourage us, especially those of us who tend to isolate. One of the reasons we may be struggling with joy is because we're too separated from others. And I know some of us are scarred and that we've been hurt. And and there's reasons why we're isolating ourselves. And I just pray, God, that you would help us to burst through those bubbles, burst through those walls, and we pursue relationship with others so we can know the joy that comes from being connected. Help us to remember your truth and your promises that as those waves come up and it looks all exciting and wonderful and then they crash and they go back out. You just help us to live through those, Jesus. Live through those times with, by looking to you and the joy and the peace you give. We thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.